um, compared to last week. But last week we looked at the law of God. We went through the um, seven paragraphs of the law of God. And really what I wanted us to see was that in God's word, um, in, at the very beginning, he gave us the covenant of works. Can you guys read that? Is that, is that legible? I don't have black. I can see black. I can't see all colors, but I can see black. Can you see, read that? Is it my handwriting or is it the color? Okay. Okay. Well, uh, I don't know. If, I don't know. Anyway. Okay. So, covenant of works was given to Adam as a covenant that he had to obey with the three P's, right? He had to obey with perfect obedience, perpetually, um, for all of his posterity. So everyone had to obey God in the covenant of works. And the promise was life, eternal life. But what, the, what we, we see in this biblical narrative and what we see in Westminster Confession 8 and chapter 7 is that after this fall, um, he, we could not continue in this covenant of works because of our sin, right? Because Adam disobeyed, sin came into the world. That's Romans 5. That's 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And so God made a covenant of grace. With Adam. And in this covenant of grace, he promised life. I'm just going to forget the board now. What we find in chapter 2 is that is what is written is this law after this fall continued to be a perfect rule of righteousness. And as such was delivered by God upon Mount Sinai in the Ten Commandments, and written in two tables, the first four commandments contained our duty towards God, the other six our duty towards man. And so if you remember from last week, we read um, from Matthew's Gospel in 22 through 37, or 22, where Jesus summed up the entire law, saying, we shall love the Lord our God, and we shall love our neighbor as ourselves. Those are the two tables of the Ten Commandments. And then we, we continued through, and we, we read, and I, I, I tried to explain, probably not as clearly as I wanted to, the three uses of the law. And this is where I was going to use the marker board specifically, but if you can't read it. So the three uses of the law were, it, it's used as a curb, a mirror, and a light. So the law for all of humanity is to curb sin in the world. It's given to restrain sin. This is why governments are given the power of the sword. They are to stand up for the moral righteousness of our God in performing and upholding all of his laws. This is the, the first use of the law as a curb. The second use of the law is a mirror 
When we read the law of God, it should convict us of our sin and make us realize that we cannot live up to this law. Whether unregenerate or even after we've come to know Christ, every time we open up the word of God, this is why we have it in this is how we have it structured in our bulletin. We read the word and the word should convict us of our sin and our unholiness before our God. The third use of the law is to the, the, it's a light. Once we see our sin and once we hear the promise of the gospel that our sin has been covered, we have been washed clean through the blood of Christ, then the law becomes to us a light unto our path. You can read Psalm 19 or Psalm 119. This is what those psalms are all about. And I was going to turn to Psalm 119, which is the longest um, chapter in the entire Bible. The longest, yeah, the longest chapter in the entire Bible. And it's all about God's law. And this is what it says. Blessed are those who walk, who, whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who keep him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. I will meditate on your precepts. I will fix my eyes on your way. I will delight in your statutes. You hear how that's a turn? You hear how that's no longer someone seeing the law and can being convicted of their sin, but seeing their law and delighting in what the Lord has provided. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding. And so, we need to have an understanding of these three uses of the law, specifically when we come to the Ten Commandments. So if you'll turn, if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus 20. And as the confession says, as such, God's moral law is delivered upon Mount Sinai. And this is the law of God. Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on the earth below, and that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them and, or serve them. For I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands and those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. You hear that communal language? For in six days the Lord made the earth and the sea 
and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother. So that's the, that's the first table of the law, right? The first four commandments. There's man's duty towards God. And now we get this, the six, other six commandments. Man's duty towards his neighbor. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor. Now when the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trembling of the mountain of smoke, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us. And we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. And if you're here, remember this during the sermon, right? I'm not going to quote this specifically, but remember this for later on. Just putting that there. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Circle, if you, if you have your Bible, circle, it, circle that. That you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So, why were these commandments given? I just gave you the answer. That you may not sin. So, here's the question. How do we typically read these commandments? Okay, as individual rules. Okay. No, that's that's right. We typically just take one and talk about that one, and then the next one. How do we typically view these commandments in view of our salvation? So here's typically how my heart works. We know in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus expands this law. But typically how my heart works is, well, I don't kill people. Therefore, God has promised to love me. Right? I'm sorry? I, so typically how my heart works, Mr. Larry, is, well, I don't kill people. I don't hate people in my heart, what Jesus says. Therefore, God should love me. Does that sound familiar? Does, does, does that, but does that resonate in anybody's heart? But let's go back to verse 2 of, verse, of chapter 20. <clears throat> I am the Lord your God who brought you out to the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The people do not obey the Ten Commandments so that they might be saved. They keep the Ten Commandments because they already are saved. This is exactly where our confession goes. And so I want to actually have you now turn um, to page 872 in your Trinity Hymnal. <coughs> Mm 
we're jumping into the shorter catechism. And trust me, I really wanted to go into the larger catechism. Um, but I didn't want to throw you into the deep water. And so on page 872, question 93, the question is, what is the duty which God requireth of man? And if, if you know your shorter catechism, this is actually a summary, or this is a jump from question number three. So question number three, the shorter catechism, say, what do the scriptures primarily teach? The scriptures primarily teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. So question four, question four all the way up to question 38, has been dealing with what man is to believe concerning God. And here, after 39 onward, it's, it's, this confession is describing what duty God requires of man. The duty that God requires of man is obedience to his revealed will. 41. Wherein is the moral law summarily comprehended within the Ten Commandments? You go down to 43. 43. What is the preface? the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Question 44. What doth the preface of the Ten Commandments teach us? That because God is Lord and our God and Redeemer, therefore we are bound to keep his commandments. We are not bound to keep his commandments in order to earn salvation. We are bound to keep his commandments because we are his redeemed people. And this is why I, I have printed off in the larger catechism, question 99, the larger catechism actually gives us eight rules that we are to observe when we are reading through the Ten Commandments. The, that the law is perfect and bindeth everyone to fully to full conformity in the whole man unto the righteous thereof, and unto entire obedience forever, so as to require the utmost perfection of every duty, and to forbid the least degree of every sin. That it is spiritual, and so reacheth the understand, understanding, will, affections, and all other powers of the soul, as well as works, words, works, and gestures. That one and the same thing, in diver respects, it required or forbidden in several commandments. That as, where a duty is commanded, the contrary sin is forbidden. And where a sin is forbidden, the contrary duty is commanded. So where a promise is annexed, the contrary threatening is included. And where a threatening is annexed, the contrary promise is included. We're going to see what that means in just a minute. That what God forbids is at no time to be done. And what he commands is always our duty. And yet every particular duty is not to be done at all times. That under one sin or duty, all the same kind are forbidden or commanded. Together with all the causes, means, occasions, and appearances thereof, and provocations thereunto. That what is forbidden or commanded to ourselves, we are bound according to our places, to endeavor that it may be avoided or performed by others according to the duty of their places. That in what is commanded to others, 
we are bound according to our places and callings to be helpful to them and to take heed of partaking with others what is forbidden them. This sounds like a lot. And here's what I'm here to tell you. This is a lot. But this is why we need and understand and must understand our need of God's grace. We will never be able to fulfill these Ten Commandments outside of the gracious promises of God. Realizing who we are and what he has called us to become. And even when we do break these commandments, even when we do go contrary to what he has called us to do, we have a God who is loving and merciful, who receives us because we are his children. Because he loves us. And so, our catechism goes on and it actually tells us what is required and what is forbidden of every single commandment. You guys ready? What is, what is the first commandment? That shall have no other gods before me. What is it required? The first commandment requires us to know and acknowledge God to be the only true God and our God and to worship and glorify him accordingly. What is forbidden? The first commandment forbiddeth the denying or not worshiping and glorifying the true God as God and our God and the giving of that worship and glory to any other which is due to him alone. What is specifically taught in these words before me in the first commandment? These words before me in the first commandment teacheth us that God who seeth all things taketh notice of and is much displeased with sin of having any other God. What is the second commandment? Thou shalt not make unto thee a graven image. What is, what is required of the second commandment? The receiving, observing, and keeping pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinance as God hath appointed in his word. What is forbidden? The worshiping of God by images or any other way not appointed in his word. What are the reasons annexed in the second commandment? The reasons annexed to the second commandment are God's sovereignty over all. His property is in us and the zeal he hath to his own worship. What is the third commandment? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord God in vain. What is required? A holy and reverent use of God's names, titles, attributes, ordinance, word, and works. What is forbidden? Profaning or abusing any whereby God maketh himself known. What is annexed? That however the breakers of the commandments may escape punishment from men, yet the Lord our God will not suffer them to escape his righteous judgment. What is the fourth commandment? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. What is required? Keeping holy to God such set times as he hath appointed in his word, expressly one whole day in seven to be holy Sabbath to himself. Go down to number 60. How is the Sabbath to be sanctified? The Sabbath is to be sanctified by a holy resting all the day. 
even from such worldly employments and recreations as are lawful on other days, and spending the whole time in the public and private exercises of God's worship, except so much as it is to be taken up in the works of necessity and mercy. What is forbidden? The omission or careless performance of duties of the duties required, and the profaning of the day by idleness, or doing that which is in itself sinful or unnecessary thoughts, words, or works about our worldly employments or recreations. What is the fifth commandment? Honor thy father and mother, that thy days may be long in the land which the Lord thy God has giveth. What is required? Preserving and honoring and performing the duties belonging to everyone in several places or relations as superiors, inferiors, or equals. What is forbidden? Neglecting of or doing anything against the honor and duty which belongeth to everyone in the several places and relationships, or in relations. It's, it's saying that it's not just your mother and your father. Anyone in place in authority over us are to be given honor. What is the sixth commandment? That shall not kill. What is required? All offer endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. And I, I'm just going to pick this one by, by random. I'm going to take you to the larger catechism so you can kind of hear... Um, if, if you want to go, like I said, if you want to plunge right on in in the Sixth Commandment. Um, I thought I had it saved, but I guess I didn't. Um, what, does the, what are the duties required in the Sixth Commandment? Here's the larger catechism, and this is true for about all of them. The duties required in the Sixth Commandments are all careful, careful studies and lawful endeavors to preserve the life of others and others by resisting all thoughts and purposes, subduing all passions and avoiding all occasions, temptations, and practices, which tend to the unjust taking away of life of any. By just defense thereof against violence, patience bearing of the hand of God, quietness of mind, cheerfulness of spirit, a sober use of meat, drink, physic, sleep, labor, and recreations. By charitable thoughts, love, compassions, meekness, gentleness, kindness, peaceable, mind and and courtness or sorry of courteous speech and behavior forbiddance readiness to be rec- to reconciled patience bearing and forgiving of injuries and requiring good for evil comforting and securing the distressed and protecting and defending the innocent that's larger catechism 135 Yeah, so if you, ha- if you have that book, it, they're both in there. It goes Confession of Faith, Larger Catechism, Shorter Catechism. So the Shorter Catechism was written actually for the church to memorize and to be taught. The Larger Catechism was given for pastors to memorize and to be taught. So it's just an expansion of, these, of what the Shorter Catechism, actually the Shorter Catechism was given after the Larger Catechism. It's just a shortening of what the Larger Catechism says. So let's continue the Shorter Catechism. What, does the, wh- what is the Seventh Commandment? Thou shalt not commit adultery. What is required? 
the preservation of our own and our neighbor's and our neighbor's chastity in heart, speech, and behavior. What is forbidden? All unchaste thoughts, words, and actions. The eighth commandment: Thou shalt not steal. The eighth commandment requireth the lawful, the lawful procuring and furthering the wealth and outward estate of ourselves and others. What is forbidden? Whatsoever doth or may unjustly hinder our own or our neighbor's wealth or outside estate. What is the ninth commandment? Thou shalt not bear false witness. The ninth commandment requireth the maintaining and promoting of true truth between man and man, and of our own and of our neighbor's good name, especially in witness bearing. The ninth commandment forbiddeth whatsoever is prejudice to truth or injurious to our own of our neighbor's good name. What is the tenth commandment? Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, or wife, or manservant, or maidservant, nor ox, nor ass, nor anything that is that neighbor's. I was waiting for a chuckle. There it is. What, is, what does the Tenth Commandment require? Full contentment with our own condition, with a right and charitable frame of spirit toward our neighbor and all that is his. What is forbidden? All discontentment with our estate, envying or, or grieving at the good at, of our neighbor in all inordinate motions and affections to anything that is his. Question 82. Is any man able perfectly to keep these commandments? No mere man, since the fall, is able of this life perfectly to keep the commandments, but doth daily break them in thought, word, and deed. Every time we read the Ten Commandments, we should be reminded of the second use of the law. I don't know about you, but this week, I broke every single commandment. And what the law teaches us is that we need to run to our Savior. But what we cannot forget is the preface of the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who has delivered you out of bondage and out of slavery. We are his people. And he constantly and repeatedly, forever, offers us grace in Jesus Christ. This is the promise of the gospel. This is what the, these Ten Commandments reveal to us. The law reveals the law giver. The Ten Commandments are a reflection of God's person, who he is, and what he requires of his people to be in his presence. The Ten Commandments should sound like a lot. This takes me back to the Chapter 19 of the Confession, paragraph 7. After talking about the law, 
the Westminster divines say, neither are the aforementioned uses of the law contrary to the grace of the gospel, but do sweetly comply to it. The spirit of Christ subduing and enabling the will of man to do that freely and cheerfully, which the will of God revealed in the law requireth to be done. So not only do we remember that the law demands much, but that God's grace gives even more. But my question for this morning is, are these Ten Commandments something that we are desiring to do? Or do we just see it as, we should not do that? Right? That's exactly what the Westminster, what these eight principles tell us. That when something is forbidden... We should desire to do that is contrary. When we are told to do something, we should seek and desire to not do what is contrary. Not only does the law reveal the lawgiver, but I, 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 this by God's providence, we're going into Leviticus and we're going to talk about this. I'm going to preach on this in my sermon. Not only does the law reflect the lawgiver, but the people are supposed to reflect the lawgiver. So, does that describe us? Well, I already admitted it, it doesn't describe me. Maybe it describes you, and I'm thankful for you, but it doesn't describe me which means I need to bask even more in the grace and the glory of Christ, who, in the Spirit, subdues and enables our will to obey freely and cheerfully. It should be our desire to obey and observe and do the Ten Commandments. Because this is what leads to life. A flourishing life. This doesn't hinder our life. It produces life. Any questions? <laughs>